Welcome, friends, to the uh, latest, of course it's the latest, because it's the one we're doing now, edition of the Read. <laughs> Michael, it's pretty smart of me, isn't it? Of the Regeneration podcast. You laughed at that, but I was reflecting, I think, metaphysically on the truth. You're on your, your, your game is on, Mike. Your game yeah, is on. Thanks. So what's new with you? Well, it was a, it was a big week. My, my third oldest son was married this weekend. I saw wonderful pictures online. Yes, and uh, to, a, to a Greek girl. And it was, it was literally my big fat Greek wedding. It was, those Greek people like to dance, boy. I bet. And at the reception, I mean, and they don't believe in three-minute pop songs either. Those Greek dances go on for 45 minutes. <laughs> so that was fun. It was, well, we were exhausted too because, you know, then we had to come home and we got home at two in the morning or something. And then we had to get up at, at 7.30 to milk the cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no rest. Wow. And, it's, and it's fall here in Michigan. And so it's really the rhythm on the, on the farm really changes immediately. So I bet. Our CSA ended yesterday. What was the last, uh, what did it include? Presumably you have a box. Yeah. It included uh, winter squash, onions, mm. uh, arugula, celery, uh, the remnants of the, of the peppers. Okay. There's something else in there too. But uh, so, so yeah, so, so it's over. But then we, we took our, our lambs to the butcher earlier this week. And wow, it's all going down. It's kind it's of all sad. Cha- it really changes. It really changes. And now I, we have to start moving our firewood around. So, so I have to put it onto the, I have to take the porch swing down, put the firewood on the porch, go out to the woods and cut more firewood. So it's busy. But I had a, a different, friend, different rhythm, okay. different rhythm. Yeah. I had a friend share with me. I've read, um, people know I love this John Cowper Powis so much, but <laughs> I, I got to be honest, he might be my favorite pro stylist, but after that, it would be Hilaire Belloc, somebody we haven't talked about all that much, but somebody sent me an essay of his called The Autumn and the Fall of Leaves, Belloc's. I haven't read it yet, but these little essays of his, you know, he was so polemical, but when he waxes on the seasons or on the sacraments, it's just beautiful, beautiful. But uh, one thing about the My Big Fat Greek Wedding haven't seen it. Maybe the most famous movie I haven't seen, and I have no reluctance to see it. I want to see it. But being in campus ministry, uh, students know a few things about me. But one is, and we'll have to do a show on this, Michael, I have a total fascination with hydrogen peroxide. Um, I have gallons of 35% hydrogen peroxide that I use with gardening all the time, whether it's acid rain or chemicals in our water. I I think you could make a case that um, we get more uh, that we have less oxygen in our water than we used to. Another one would be, there's all these studies that say like Lord's water and these healing waters are higher in oxygen. Anyhow, yeah. when people hear of my fascination with hydrogen peroxide, they say it plays the role of vinegar in my big fat Greek wedding. And I just don't know what that role no, is. It's, but actually, I'll have... it's, it's Windex. in my Oh, opinion. Windex. Thank you. Yeah. And my, my, my counterpart, the bride's father he's he is basically zorba the greek he is okay michael my friend come we we celebrate you know so so it's great but anyway great enough enough weddings are special yep but they are special it's it's good to see people embracing life and the blessings in the orthodox church are you know about being fruitful and and entering the world so it's not all neurotic i mean it really well it's it's a sophianic experience it really is you know this the celebration of marriage, uh, which brings us to our guest today. And I have a little history lesson here. So our guest today is Robert Powell, who is so many different things, uh, spiritual researcher, eurythmist, 
astrosopher. Do you prefer astrosopher or astrologer? Astrosopher. Astrosopher, yeah. Uh, and Robert holds a PhD in mathematics, is that correct? Uh, well, my PhD, I have an MSc, Master of Science in uh, Statistics and Probability Theory. Okay. But um, my PhD is in history of astronomy and it okay. is actually focused on the history of the zodiac. Wonderful. And I remember. Wild, I, wild. Fact, I have it someplace. I was looking for it. I can't find it. You had a, a, a really small, almost magazine formatted booklet on that years and years ago, because that's part of the history lesson. Uh, and Robert is the author of many books, uh, among them the Sophia teachings and uh, is it three volumes or four volumes of Christian Hermetic Astrology, which I also have someplace in the house, but I can't find it. But I did find this one. Do you remember this one, Robert? Oh, the most holy trinity. That's the one I read. My, That's I, the one. Yeah, I have it in my so, backpack. I've got so a, get, a nicer copy. So this is well. Get this. So I bought this right after it came out in I think 1990, right? And I was so taken with it because you know the in in the book Robert uh, endorses this is my copy. No, it's a different book, right? Uh, the, most holy trinity, Sophia. Actually, it's the expanded revised yeah. edition but this is very know. short mike see it's oh okay it's three mine's... lectures three lectures uh and this is the first I place i saw that. the our mother prayer from valentin tomrick first place i encountered that ditto and um i was so taken with this with the discussion of kind of rosicrucian stream and the rosary and i don't know how i got the phone number but i called up uh whatever i don't know if it was golden stone press or where it was but I think I talked to Karen River. Would that would she have been connected with? Uh, not really. No, she uh, she and I founded the Sophia Foundation. Right. And the uh, if you had called Golden Stone Press, you would have spoken with um, Susan or Robert Carp. It was well, it was a woman I talked to, and I told her how much I loved the book. Uh -huh. And and I don't know how. Now this is interesting. I don't know how but I somehow got Robert's phone number when you were living in Germany. It's called stalking, Michael, and it's, it it's a stalking. thing. Yeah. yeah, and this is before the internet where you could actually stalk people with more. <laughs> but, and I talked to Robert, and this has got to be 25 years ago at least, uh, because, and Robert put me in contact. Now, Robert is also, I should have mentioned, probably needs no introduction, the translator of Meditations on the Tarot by, by Valentin Tomberg, which we'll talk about today. And Robert Epic. put me in touch with James Morganti, who co-translated, uh, was called Lazarus, sometimes it's called Lazarus Come Forth, sometimes it's called uh, Covenant of the Heart. Um also by Valentin Tomberg. And James and I became friends. And I know that I must have talked to Robert 25 years ago, 26 years ago, even, because when I talked to James, he was on his way from Massachusetts, where he lived, to the West Coast. And he stopped at my house in Michigan on the way. And he brought me this beautiful blanket that he got from a Camp Hill for my daughter, who was then an infant. And actually, my daughter now uses that for her baby. <laughs> so, wow. so it's wow. a long time. But I know that's how I know how long ago it was because otherwise I'm really horrible at remembering when, when what happened. But I know it was before my daughter was or right around the time. So and, and not, as I told uh, last week on our, on our show, um, so I, 
my introduction to Robert, as with a lot of people, I think, was in through the translation of Meditations on the Tarot uh, in the Amity House edition, which and which I bought in 1985 when it came out, right? And uh, which you can see. I mean, if you look through it, I colored all. I have all kinds of. I colored the the images for the tarot myself. So I've had this by my side for a long time. Um, and around the same time, um, I don't know how I came into this. I, I I stumbled upon some, I think they were a mimeograph. They were mimeograph chapters or, or letters from Meditations on the Tarot, which I suspect were Robert's original typewritten translation, I'm guessing, that were somehow photocopied or mimeographed. Remember those things with the blue ink or whatever that was? And I don't know what happened to those things either, but... Um, so I have this long history with Robert's work, you know, which is, and also as anybody can tell, has deeply informed my own work over these last years. I probably, I'm certain that the first time I heard, read the word sophiology was in the most holy Trinisophia. And I was about 27, 26 at the time. Oh, and I, there's one more thing I want to take from history. Remember this one? Shoreline. Never seen it. Never heard of it. This was... And I love that. This is actually, I think this partially inspired uh, Jesus, the imagination, because I don't know who the, everybody was involved with Shoreline, but I, was it only two or three issues, I think, or is that right, Robert? Yeah, yeah, there were uh, maybe four issues. Maybe four. Yeah. Uh, and this was 19, I guess it was 1986 or 87. And Robert's got an article in here and there's some, there's some, uh, information on the first time I read any uh, historical information on uh, 1986 from from uh, about Valentin Tomberg and it was about the vision of Europe now I was was I meant to look it up was this prior to the founding of the European Union yes it was yes yeah. and so it was kind of looking forward toward that it was a interesting moment in history and here of course Robert ran a chart on the vision of Europe right here uh, so anyway, so there are a lot of things we could talk about, and I think today we'll probably only be able to, to touch the surface. But I think for a good place to start would be to tell us about a little bit about your background and what brought you to, I think you were a doorknock when you received the manuscript of Meditation on the Tarot, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but give us some of your background leading up to that moment. Yes, well, it was in uh, 1972 that I came across the work of, of Rudolf Steiner. This was in England. I think Robert just froze up a little bit. Yeah, looks like he might have touched his computer at the same time, you know. <clears throat> in a moment, we can decide, too, whether we start again or... Okay. Yeah, even if, even if this makes the final YouTube, our listeners should understand that editing in the middle of a YouTube video is really tricky. You have to download another software podcast stuff is really oh, easy he, he just dropped out yeah he will drop back in okay so let's we'll start again in some way i hear he's coming back do you think we should start okay. again mike no okay there you are so yeah we lost you for a second there robert um can you see me now yes we can yep oh okay uh, good good because um and i thought technology was supposed to make our lives easier yes yes <laughs> well i'm sorry about that so uh, 1972 uh, was my encounter with with the work of Rudolf Steiner and when I you know up until that point in time I was a lecturer in mathematics at what is now Brighton University in the south of England 
but at that time it was called Brighton Polytechnic. I was teaching students of computer science about um, statistics, probability theory, and that kind of thing. And this was complete expansion of my consciousness coming across the work of Rudolf Steiner, who covers so much, as, as you know. And then in the wake of this, somebody gave me a copy of Valentin Tomberg's studies of the Old Testament. That was in, in 1973. And as I subsequently learned, he had just transitioned. He had died in February, late February of, of 1973. And the interesting thing is that Valentin Tomberg had lived and worked in the town of Reading, which is west of London. It's spelt Reading, but it's pronounced Reading. And there um, I was born in Reading in 1947. Not long after I was born was when uh, Valentin Tomberg moved to Reading to work for the BBC, uh, the British Broadcasting Corporation. And his, his work was to listen to broadcasts coming from Russia, also from Estonia, and to indicate the important points in those broadcasts relevant for, um, for MI5 or MI6 in England, uh, for the FBI or the CIA in the United States. We remember it was the time of the, the Cold War. And so this was Valentin Tomberg's work. You have to imagine uh, working in shifts and eight hours a day. So he had to have um, suffered, I would imagine, listening to these endless radio broadcasts. But anyway, the, my point in mentioning this is that, that the town where I was born, he came to work. And so I felt a, an immediate connection with him. And when I was reading these studies of the Old Testament that he had written, one of his early works, which he began in 1933, he was born in the year 1900. When I was reading this, I, uh, I felt uh, a connection with him. And I realized this being who wrote this is, is what you would call in spiritual language uh, a master. That is, he, you can have connection, communication with him. And this stayed with me, this sense of um, connection until the present day. And however, when I asked followers of Rudolf Steiner in England, anthroposophists, when I asked them about Valentin Tomberg, there was generally the response was, well, we don't talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things haven't changed much. The prodigal son. Yeah. Right, yes. And and then, as I subsequently learned, it was because of his joining the Catholic Church. And for me, that was not a problem. I wasn't Catholic. Uh, I, I did subsequently join the church when I was working on translating the book Meditations on the Tarot, which I was working on in Dornach, Switzerland. So... Uh, can you still see me? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so I'll just continue then. So for me, it was really the, the central question was, how did Valentin Tomberg make this transition from being an anthroposophist working with the work of Rudolf Steiner to 
to joining the Catholic Church. And the more I live with this, the more it things opened up for me that that really was guided into the Catholic Church in order to open up this stream of, of esotericism also for Catholics. In other words, it was like a sacrifice on his part in a way to leave his um, circle who appreciated him and to enter into the Catholic Church and to bring a new impulse there. And for those who don't know, I'm just going to hold up now this photo from a German Catholic publication. And uh, here you can see... <coughs> A little higher, a little higher, Robert. Okay. There you go. Yep. You can see Pope John Paul II, and on his desk in front of him, those those two yellow volumes are the German translation of Meditation So, whether or not Pope John Paul II read the book, uh, I don't know, um, and we can't ask him now. But uh, <laughs> at any rate. Uh, this indicates that this book made its way to the highest level in the Catholic Church. So anyway, it's um, obviously it's the content of the book that is important. And uh, I noticed um, with James Wetmore's new edition in the hardback edition of Meditations on the Tarot. Is that possible? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which came out in in 2019. As you mentioned, Michael, the first edition in English translation came out in 1985, and uh, James or Jim Wetmore was keen on bringing out a new edition, which is actually quite a wonderful edition. This it's um, very well done, and on the back cover, he has a quote from you, Michael. Um, I'll just read this out. I have kept my copy of Meditations on the Terror within arm's reach for over 30 years, and it has been a constant source of spiritual renewal and companionship. So that is a very wonderful uh, endorsement of this book, which, and there are many other wonderful endorsements on the back cover. So this is a book uh, in my travels. I've given workshops in many different countries around the world. And when people that very often would come up to me and they would say, they would thank me for translating this book from the French. It was written by Valentin Tomberg in French language for various reasons, because there is a long tradition of tarot in France. And so many people I've met who would tell me that <clears throat> this work has really changed their lives. So it is, it is um, an extraordinary work with an incredible depth that you can read over and over again. As, That's as, true. Now, like, can I ask you a question, Robert? Was the, the manuscript you were given in French, was it Valentin Tomberg's own manuscript or was it a, a copy? Uh, it was a copy, actually. I, <clears throat> um, so I want to come back now to the original question uh, Michael, that how did I come into connection with with meditations on the tarot? As I mentioned, I was trying to find out in England more about Valentin Tomberg, and that was based on 
is studies of the Bible, which were published in collected um, version as this book, Christ and Sophia, um, which is wonderful to have this collection of these early biblical studies of Valentin Hamburg, of course, written in a very different style, because at that time he was still working out of Rudolsteiner's Anthroposophy. But nevertheless, these are incredible works. And so this is what was occupying me initially in my interest in Valentin Tomberg. And then I did meet somebody in the Rudolsteiner bookstore in London, in Museum Street, opposite the British Museum, where I used to study uh, working on my PhD thesis on the history of the Zodiac. And the uh, woman um, said, oh, there's, there's a, a woman who comes here uh, regularly or infrequently, actually, but regular intervals of time. And she knows Valentin, she knew Valentin Tomberg. And I, and so she put me in touch with this woman living in Amsterdam, Eva Cliture. And Eva Cliture invited me to Amsterdam to meet her. And that was then a very interesting meeting. It was just about three days meeting. And on the second day, she brought out the uh, manuscript of Meditations on the Tarot. And she said, um, this is for you to translate into English. You are the one to translate this into English. Wow. So at that point in time, I was just on my way to Dornach in Switzerland, Rudolf Steiner's center there, the Goetheanum, to study Eurythmy. And so I had this extra task given to me to <laughs> translate meditations on something you can whip off in a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon, maybe, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that actually was a work uh, th this was 1978 when when I received the manuscript and uh, I studied Eurythmy for four years and so 1978 to 1982 and during my lunch break I was translating meditations on the tarot. <laughs> wild story wild oh, story yeah. and it was during that time that I I was inspired through translating this work to to join the Catholic Church, and I felt immediately the immensity of what is living in the Catholic Church in terms of tradition and the broadness of scope. And it was um, it was a remarkable sense of of connecting with this great stream, going back to Christ and disciples and i um, i've not regretted it at all um all, although i as probably you also um wonder about certain developments within the catholic church uh, in more recent years which came after uh, the time when valentin tumberg was writing this and, great and, and he already saw that happening as he, as he writes in uh lazarus come forth right yes yes well lazarus Come forth was was written, of course, after right. Meditations on the Tarot. Uh, that was he completed the manuscript in 1967, and then before his death in 1973, wrote Lazarus Come Forth. Um, as you as you say, yes, he he does mention certain things, which, by the way, were left out of the the German edition of that book, but. Huh. Uh, 
made it into the English one. We're grateful for that. Well, I I, I made sure that uh, of that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, together with uh, James Morganti, um, we worked on that that edition. Um, so so that's that's a fascinating story, and I ha had the same experience with reading your translation, uh, where I ha I had I, even though I was born in, in the Catholic Church, I, I had become estranged from the Catholic Church even after probably Catholic school did it to me, but uh, I became estranged from the Catholic Church. But when I read this book at the age of three, I started I guess twenty four. I was probably twenty four. It changed my perspective. It opened it up. It took me a few years before I returned, but. Uh, right, right after, right around the time I was reading this, uh, I started praying the rosary. And as Valentin Tomberg says in uh, in the Meditations in the Tarot, it's a secret weapon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's an, it's powerful. And that drew me back into the church. My, my and my wife. And by that time, by the time we came back in, we had three children, and so we all came. They all came in at the same time. <laughs> they were all baptized in the same day. Oh. And of course, we added more. We added six more children after that. <laughs> um, so wonderful. Um, now, I don't want to spend the whole time talking ab about this, but I remember the last time I spoke to you, which was about ten years ago. We were talking about, uh, as you alluded to already, the the backlash uh, um, among some anthroposophists. Uh, against about against you in particular and, and Valentin Tomberg. Mm -hmm. And I wonder I could never make never, never made any sense to in fact there was uh, you know this book by Prokofiev mm -hmm. uh, The Fall of Valentin Tomberg mm -hmm. in English right I read it yeah, yeah yeah and and I remember there was uh, remember the magazine Gnosis mm -hmm. they had they were funny they had a great sense of humor but they did a review of the book and the title of the review was uh oh, those darn Jesuits are at it again. So and I, so I wonder what you make of all this. And there, are, I mean, there was some poison poured out toward you and both Valentin Tomberg for a long time from from a number mm -hmm. of anthroposophists. Yes. Well, uh, I think the problem is that with the work of, of Rudolf Steiner, it is an extraordinary, all-encompassing work, and. For anyone encountering this, it is a breath of truth in a world of, unfortunately, increasingly lies and deception. And so there is, what comes with it is a, a sense of allegiance to Rudolf Steiner. And th this is something that he personally never wanted. Uh, he wanted everybody to explore in a, as free thinkers his work and not be um, dogmatic about it. Right. And unfortunately, in the case of Sergei Prokofiev, who came from Russia and is actually the, uh, the grandson of the composer Sergei Prokofiev, so he had special privileges in the Soviet Union. And he came to Europe and he had already discovered anthroposophy, Rudolf Steiner's work in Russia as, a, as an adolescent. And for him also, it was, you know, surrounded by the doctrines of Soviet communism. It was an incredible breakthrough and release to, to a much larger perspective of life and spirituality. And so he unfortunately became very dogmatic about anthroposophy 
And so he regarded Valentin Tomberg as betraying anthroposophy and he couldn't understand somebody like myself who I still appreciate and work very much with the work of Rudolf Steiner, but also appreciate very much uh, equally the work of Valentin Tomberg. And I don't, for me personally, there is no discrepancy. And so it is basically a case of, of dogmatism and mm -hmm. that um, is very unfortunate. Not certainly not what Rudolf Steiner had intended. And I also detected a very strong bias against Catholicism that's kind of res resides in Russian Orthodoxy too. You know, there's a kind of prejudice against Catholicism without knowing anything about it. Yes. Well, and of course, um, it's interesting considering Rudolf Stein himself, he on occasions did speak not very positively about the Catholic Church, but on other occasions, he said some very positive things. Mm -hmm. And he himself was born uh, into a Catholic family and he was um, was an altar boy and he expresses in his autobiography his appreciation of what he was able to take in there from the sacramental context and he never left the catholic church so this is something very interesting yeah and and i someplace i can't remember where it was exactly he even Set tells his followers that, you know, had things not worked out like they did, he would have ended up as a Cistercian priest. You exactly. Know? <laughs> so, yes. Yes. so that's not necessarily a disavowal, is it? You know, mm -hmm. um, so that, yeah, so that's all pretty fascinating stuff. And uh, um, let mean, me ask a question, yeah. which would be, and again, and I think we'll weave around uh, just talking yeah. for a little bit. You're like a number of our guests, Robert, where I already think you know, five or six episodes wouldn't begin to touch it. <laughs> but this is going to be less about Tomberg and more about you, uh, even astrology and Tomberg. And it's the notion that, you know, I, I'd have to go back. So I've read Christ and Sophia. I've read uh, uh, Lazarus Come Forth, you know, and, and meditations many times. Where would Tomberg, in your opinion, want us today? And then Robert Powell, do you would you agree with that? So I guess I'm asking from this that with astrology, I mentioned at the beginning of the show you have uh, one of my great literary heroes is John Cowper Powis. Uh, last last episode we had a gentleman on it was the first time somebody who was reading him. But if you don't mind because it brings together astrology a little bit, I, I might quote from part of Powis here. But we're we're at a time where it seems like there's a massive ending going on. Right. If we looked at Spengler, we're looking at the decline of the Western civilization. And from the age of Pisces to whenever different people, and you might share with us, to the age of Aquarius, Powis wondered, and it was kind of beautiful language, and I'll share a little bit of it. You know, with an instrument of torture as its symbol, this aeon of Pisces implied a preoccupation with pain and pity for pain, with sin and redemption from sin, with desperate, keyword, individual struggles to attain sanctity and with desperate individual struggles to defeat sanctity by the aid of devilry, its influence revealed itself in a passionate piety and savage perversity, in furious orthodoxy and frantic heresy. It revealed further itself in the basic assumption that all of Christendom was one devoted human community whose abiding place was in eternity, so it's otherworldliness, a community dwelling forever under the love and under the wrath of an omnipresent God who had his spiritual representative upon earth, embodying his absolute authority while he also had an earthly representative 
upon a lower and more secular level, who, though in a somewhat vague and shadowy sense, inherited the mundane aspect of the Pax Romana under the title of the Holy Roman Empire, or we're seeing with the death of uh, Queen Elizabeth recently, this new, this fascination that remains with a queen in the Catholic Church. We have all these different groups of people that call themselves post-liberals that are looking to Viktor Orban for a renewed. Um, let me let me simplify it here and say, um, are there other themes? You know, Tomberg seemed to me to want to hearken back a little bit. And yet his own work, what he did was take the great tradition and in a beautiful sense, that's why we love him, make it all new. But um, this notion that bringing in astrology and a change of eons, is it possible to you, Robert, you know, that we need, we need to mine up different themes than like power coming from above. You know, I love this image of things from below that are not of the devil. You know, I, that's a, that's a touchstone for me. So I've given you a lot there, but like um, this notion that Tomberg's want to go backward, where do you think we are? If that makes any sense. Yes. Well, I, I don't think he wanted to go backward really. He, he was certainly endeavoring to awaken respect and appreciation for tradition, because that is the foundation, um, as he says in the, the first chapter of Meditations on the Tarot, there is the Hermetic axiom from ancient Egyptian Hermeticism going back to Hermes or Hermes Trismegistus, uh, as above, so below, and that is very much um, intrinsic to all astrology, mm-hmm. but there he expands on that, he says there is also as in the past, so in the future, that there are these cycles of time. And that certainly has to do with these zodiacal ages. Now, I've obviously occupied myself with this a great deal. And in my book, um, History of the Zodiac, this was a very um, long, prolonged research work from 1974 until year 2004 when I handed in my my thesis at the uh, Polish Academy of Sciences in in Warsaw uh, in the Department on the History of Science. This was in Poland. Nicholas Copernicus was looking over you. That's right, yes. In fact, um, outside of the Polish Academy of Sciences, there is an enormous statue of Copernicus, and uh, he's, of course, one of the, the great heroes for the Polish people. Absolutely. Another being uh, Frédéric Chopin, mm-hmm. and the third being Pope John Paul II. Right, right. Yeah. So at the, um, I could tell when I was there in um, 2004 to defend my thesis on the history of the Zodiac, that there were about seven Polish professors there, and they were wondering, what is this this guy from England doing, (laughs) having written his thesis in English. uh, um, But then I was able to explain that, in fact, Copernicus, in the way he um, referred to the Zodiac, he did so in a way parallel to what I had discovered in my thesis, uh, in a way similar to that of the, the Babylonians. And in my thesis, I basically came to the original zodiac defined by the by the Babylonians who gave the first scientific definition of the zodiac and that was related to certain stars and uh, that's exactly the same principle that 
that Copernicus used. So based on that, I was able to determine the exact dates of the zodiacal ages. We are still in the age of Pisces. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because the zodiacal ages are determined by the location of the vernal point, which is the location of the sun on the day of the spring equinox. And that location, then we can very precisely determine is, is now round about five degrees of, of Pisces, according to the, uh, the Babylonian way of looking at things. And it will enter, because the vernal point moves backwards uh, through the phenomenon of what is known as the procession of the equinoxes, it will enter into Aquarius in the year 2375. So there's still uh, around 300 years to go, uh, 360 years, slightly less uh, to go before the start of the age of Aquarius. But nevertheless, one can speak of a gradual transition. And I think what we've witnessed in the 1960s, 70s, and so on with this, uh, the birth of the, the New Age movement is, is responding on the part of human beings to this call of the approach of Aquarius. So, yeah, and, yeah. And just to, to clarify for our audience that what you're, what you're talking about is, the, is what we call the sidereal astrology rather than tropical right exactly right so yes. that's it's a different it's a very it's different it's more it's more scientific in a way right <laughs> well it, it is it is the original it's it's uh, where it's where things actually are <laughs> yes yeah. yes where things actually are so uh, just to give an example so the babylonians were stargazers they looked up at the stars and they distinguished the what they called the, the moving stars. The, the Greek word planet actually is a translation from the Babylonian and means moving star. And so this um, they distinguish from the, the background of the, the fixed stars, which are the stars we see when we look up at the constellations of the zodiac. And so if uh, and so, for example, right now, you can see when you look up at in the morning, early morning, while it's still dark, you can see Mars having just left the constellation of Taurus. And so it's just past the horns of, of the bull, has just entered the constellation of Gemini. And a few weeks ago, Mars was in conjunction with the star Aldebaran, which is the brightest star in the constellation of Taurus, is the central star, which we refer to as the, the bull's eye. And for the Babylonians, the bull's eye marks 15 degrees of the sign of Taurus. So for them, um, if they saw then Mars in conjunction with Aldebaran, they would record Mars is at 15 degrees of Taurus. So this is how, through their stargazing, they were able to locate the positions of the planets. Now, just that is um, what, as you refer to, the sidereal zodiac, sidereal meaning of the stars. It's the zodiac based on the stars, whereas modern Western astrology, by and large, is based on what is referred to as the tropical zodiac, which is the location of the vernal point on the day of the spring equinox as the starting point, zero degrees of 
areas. But if you consider the zodiacal ages, so by definition, or in the tropical zodiac, the vernal point is always at zero degrees of Aries. But in the sidereal zodiac, the vernal point moves. And um, so if we go back in time uh, to, let's say, the time of the, the building of the, the Great Pyramid in Egypt, around 2,500 years before Christ, that, at that time, one would have said the vernal point is in, is in Taurus. And then um, around about the time of the birth of Abraham, um, shortly after the year 2000 before Christ, uh, that was when the vernal point entered Aries. And as we know, Abraham effectively introduced the, the age of the ram with the, the slaying of the ram in place of uh, his son Isaac. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. That's right. For Isaac in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so <clears throat> we associate uh, Abraham with the, the start of the age of, of Aries. And near the end of the age of Aries, of course, this whole age of Aries was preparing uh, in terms of the genealogy of the, the children of Israel, was preparing for the coming of the, the Messiah who is referred to then in the book of Revelation and also by John the Baptist as, as the Lamb, behold the Lamb of God. This is, a we could say, the higher aspect of Aries, going from the Ram to the Lamb. Um, yeah, interest, now interesting, I just have to point this out. This is uh, from, from your book, The Most Holy Trinosophia, the, the three-lecture version. Uh, and you have a note that says, these lectures were held at a conference dedicated to attaining a deeper understanding of the second coming of Christ. They were held two times 33 years after Rudolf Steiner had lectured at Penwin, North Wales in August of 1923. And I just have to point out, this is actually 33 years after that. <laughs> uh <-huh. Okay>. And <laughs> believe it or not, I was in Wales at the time you deliver those lectures, but I had no oh. idea you were delivering them. Because uh, the only time I've been in Wales. Um, so speaking of astrology, um, and I, I wonder if you could connect this to world events. I mean, we, ha we live in very strange times. And uh, one thing I've been paying attention to is uh, the square between Saturn and Uranus, which we, we just happened earlier this month, or right now even. And I think it was, when was it, back in, in the winter, in the last fall, the first time of the, of the, the square? And it seems to me um, those were very powerful movements. And of course, for me, it was particularly very powerful because it was <laughs> Saturn was directly on my set, my second Saturn return. <laughs> so that was, and which is also squared to my son, almost, almost an exact square. So that was been a fun year. It's been a fun year. <laughs> uh, but I wonder if you could comment about that in relationship to world events. Yes. Well, uh, it, I've given a, a series of podcasts, actually uh, up to 110 now podcasts, uh, which began around the time of the solstice in the year 2020, mm -hmm. uh, December the 21st. And this was the point in time, of course, with the, the vaccine rollout uh, just two weeks before, 10 days before, which was on the 11th of December, 2020, was when uh, Pfizer was given 
emergency authorization by the FDA to, to bring out its anti-coronas vaccine. And then a week later, December the 18th, 2020, was when emergency authorization was given also to Moderna. And then it was a little after that that um, Johnson Johnson got their authorization. So we see, uh, and the special thing about this is that looking up the stars at that time, there was the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. So this happens once every 20 years. And so there was the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn on the day of the solstice, uh, December the 21st in the year 2020. And it's around this time that, that you could see Jupiter and Saturn together in the heavens, that this, um, this vaccination program began, you know, with the, the, the drive really to, for everyone to, to receive this. And it, which is a strange thing when you consider that it had not really been properly tested. And anyway, that will be a huge theme. Um, I realized early on that something strange was going on when a very good friend of mine received the, the Pfizer vaccine and died. And that was that really that set me on this um, path, giving these podcasts to explore this, what, what underlies this, and trying to find the uh, a spiritual understanding of everything. And as you say, these are very strange times. And I don't know if you want me to go into that um, at all, or basically, basically just to come back to the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in was in the constellation of Capricorn at the solstice in the year 2020, where we see the start of this um, on this level. Of course, it had already started a little bit before um, in 2019 um, in China with the outbreak of the coronavirus itself and various circumstances connected with that. And so coming back to this 20-year rhythm, this is something that was known in antiquity. And in fact, as I've written in my book, Christian Hermetic Astrology, it was in the year seven before Christ, there was a triple uh, conjunction of, of Jupiter and Saturn. That means it took place three times during that year. And around the first time, which was in June of that year, seven before Christ, which is associated with what we refer to as the, the star of the Magi, that they were awakened to the coming of the Messiah through this conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn uh, in Pisces in the year seven before Christ. The, that was the time of the, the conception. Uh, the birth took place later. And I'm, I'm greatly oversimplifying a very complicated theme, um, which I've gone into in my book, Chronicle of the Living Christ. And this was a 10-year research project. And in that book, I found then through the visions of, of the, the mystic uh, Catholic nun and Catherine Emmerich, I found the key that enabled me to, to date the events in the life of Christ with, with absolute certainty. Uh, this may sound like a, an extraordinary statement, but um, as... We're all uh, about extraordinary statements. <laughs> yeah, we don't make any statements that aren't extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. right? As, uh, you know, I had been a uh, teacher 
of um, statistics and probability theory. And so when I was studying the, the work of and Catherine Emmerich, which has been republished actually in the year 2015 by Angelico mm -hmm. Press in a wonderful edition by my friend Jim Wetmore. And in this, uh, this three-volume edition, he takes my dating of the life of Christ as the basis for his presentation of the, the visions of Anne Catherine Emmerich. So this was a great honor for me then to have this recognition of my work. Um, so if I can just say just briefly, the, I regard the visions of Anne Catherine Emmerich as, as extraordinary and as by and large true. I don't know if you're both familiar with the visions. Yeah, yeah I am. Yeah. So uh, this, <clears throat> you know, when these visions were published first, um, the German poet Clemens Brentano worked on ordering them. He was the one who, who was so impressed when he met Anne Catherine Emmerich for the first time, uh, was so impacted by her purity, her essence, that he decided to stay and to write down. Never heard that. Wild. No, true. No. Yeah. And he was, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the uncle of Franz Brentano, who was one of the, the teachers of Rudolf Steiner. That's correct. Yes. I guess I was thinking it was Franz Brentano <sighs> when Robert said it, but still fascinating. Yeah. Thanks well, for Clemens, clarifying that. Clemens Brentano yeah. was a German romantic right. poet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And he lived in Berlin. And, you know, it was um, at that time that they spread like wildfire in Europe that there was this woman who'd received the stigmata, the wounds of Christ. And so Clemens Brentano came from Berlin to this little village where, um, where in Catherine Emmerich, she was, she was bedridden at that time. At the age of 38, she'd received the stigmata. And uh, Brentano realized this is so extraordinary that she's living in constant visions of the life of Christ. So he decided to stay and to record the visions. And thank goodness he, he did that. Um, and then when I was reading the visions, I, you know, she describes everything with such precision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she would say things like, it was the the start of the Sabbath. So one would know it's, it's Friday evening, uh, start of the Sabbath. And it was the 15th day of the month of Tishri. Uh, so she was giving, because of course, in the, in the, uh, at that time of, of Jesus Christ, they used the, the Hebrew calendar, not the, the Roman calendar. And so I was having all of these indications given by Anne Catherine Emmerich in the Hebrew calendar. And because of my background, mathematics again comes back. Yeah. Yeah. I was able to, uh, to identify them um, perfectly uh, when, when this must have been historically this period of time. And, uh, and then, so for example, if, if I were to ask you um, what day of the week was the 26th of Elo in the year 29 AD. What would you say? Definitely thinking it's Wednesday. <laughs> Run. No idea. Run. You got to go out strong when you have no idea. I always tell my kids, just assert yourself strongly. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a Friday, and that was it was the day of the 
uh, of the baptism in the River Jordan, mm. according to Anne Catherine Emmerich. <laughs> now, you you had a, a one in seven chance of being right. 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 Yeah. Now, imagine uh, in the case of Anne Catherine Emmerich, uh, twelve times in a row, and the probability of that. Well, I I worked it all out. I follow um, you. Yep. Probability of of it being correct, uh, the, the Jewish date with the day of the week uh, is one in 435 billion. Wow. Wow. So impressive. That, yeah. <laughs> that's very, that's very fascinating work, Robert. Yeah, that you I'm, I'm following. I think our listeners are because you made it clear exactly what you did. Yeah. Right, right. So uh, to translate that one, one in 435 billion um, into something that one can understand. So that means that um, that Anne Catherine Emmerich's uh, accuracy, were, were, you could say that the probability um, is 99, the probability that she's right is 99.0000000097. In other words, mm. uh, I, I didn't say it quite correctly, it's 99. Um, that, in other words, that there's hardly any difference from a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So, wow. um, so that's why I'm able to say with with absolute certainty the uh, dates in the life of Christ, and that was very important for me because I was interested in the Star of the Magi and other events, uh, whether there's some cosmic correspondence, and found then yes, there there is there are very definite. Uh, cosmic correspondences in the life of Christ uh, with events in the heavens. So this was something actually pointed out also by Rudolf Steiner that he said that, uh, and this was of course the point of departure for me, uh, he said that the um, the miracles of in the life of Christ were undertaken at special um, cosmic moments in time. And so for example when we take the, the greatest miracle, the raising of Lazarus. And uh, this, I was able to identify then the date of that event it was early on the morning of Saturday, the 20th of July in the year 32 uh, AD. And that was the date of the, the new moon in Leo. So the, the sun and the moon were very close together in yeah. conjunction. Uh, together with the star Regulus in Leo. Mm -hmm. And of course, if one were able to see that, you, you can't really see the new moon, but uh, it would be quite a spectacular sight in the night sky. And, and Regulus yeah. is the heart of the lion, correct? Right, Regulus yeah. is the heart of the lion. Right. And so then, then you, it's only with this background one can understand then why did Jesus wait so many days? Uh, he was on the other side. He was teaching in the vicinity of Samaria, and Lazarus was living at his castle in Bethany near Jerusalem. And the messengers came to him, were sent by uh, Lazarus's sisters, Martha and Mary Magdalene, uh, that their brother was dying. Could he come? And he said, yes, he would come. And then he continued teaching. And so it was only several days later that he arrived, by which time mm -hmm. Lazarus had already died. And Do you think, Robert, this gets to um, like not not 
definitely not to bring it back to Tomberg, but you know, the Tomberg does write profoundly in meditations in the tarot on how kind of miracles work, right? And in the raising of Lazarus. Give give our listeners kind of a, a visceral sense of what might have transpired. You know, is Jesus using the force of what was going on? What's the language you use if you're talking to somebody at a bar to say like how the zodiac helped, just worked with? You know, um, I'd be interested in what you have to say about that. Yeah, well, it's not easy because um, within the Christian tradition, there's not, apart from the Star of the Magi, which was my starting point, there's not really much openness for astrology, mm-hmm. uh, for anything of an astrological nature. And so, um, you know, I've been invited often to speak at, at um, workshops, seminars of um, astrologers, but there, of course, they don't really want to hear what I have to say because uh, if, I, if I just give an example, um, I was invited once to give a talk in Brussels at an astrological convention there. I carefully prepared my talk in French and spoke about this discovery with the original Babylonian zodiac and the sidereal zodiac, uh, whereas the tropical zodiac came in only later. And then the person speaking after me was a a French professor of theology, interestingly. um, And he came up on the stage and he was a very, he was a very powerfully built, um, not tall, but um, uh, strong looking guy and sits down at the table. And then he, he announced to the meeting, he said, Uh, We have our beautiful astrology, and here comes Robert Powell turning it all upside down. (laughs) He said, just imagine, he said, pounding his fist on the table. Just imagine, I, a Gemini, I'm supposed to be a Taurus, he said, banging on the table. (laughs) Just like a Taurus, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let me, to an outsider here, let me ask one quick question. Is this, um, is the, the, the reference to the sidereal zodiac is that is that your it, you know you stake a claim there and that upsets a lot of people is 95 percent of astrology done according to the tropical and you're a real outlier or what are the percentages and how much of an outlier does that make you because i guess i could feel if somebody told me i wasn't a libra i'd say like you know up yours buddy i don't know <laughs> i know i'm an air sign so there'll be <laughs> i know that go ahead well Yes. Like, so, what's the lay of the land in the field of astrology, just very briefly for our listeners on the sidereal versus uh, the tropical? Well, uh, so I have to backtrack a little bit, but just okay. imagine you are a professional astrologer, and let's say you have somebody coming to you every every periodically, every few months for for a period of ten years, and then imagine you discover the sidereal zodiac, and you then would you have the courage? to say to that person who, who's been paying you. Yeah, right. Would you have the courage to say to them, well, you know, uh, these past 10 years, I've been saying that you're Aquarius, but actually you're Capricorn, you know. <laughs> <laughs> to to yeah. bring it down to earth though, like if somebody was watching, if they were on YouTube looking for their favorite astrologer, they might choose one by temperament. But would you say like, make sure the person is using the sidereal? Is it like a, is it on a, like an ingredient list of, you know, I guess I'm asking as an outsider, I'm still wondering. Yes, yes, I would say that. Okay. Uh, that the, so just to say the tropical zodiac uh, really came about in, in this way. It's helpful to know this. Mm-hmm. So there was the, the great Greek 
astronomer Ptolemy mm -hmm. lived in Alexandria, which was a kind of melting pot for the Babylonian style wisdom, the Egyptian style wisdom, and what the Greeks had worked out. And so it was there really that this melting pot of astrology. And Ptolemy was an astronomer. He wasn't, you know, he didn't cast horoscopes or anything like that. But he he was interested and he collected together everything that the astrologers had to say about astrology in his book called the Tetrabiblos, or the four books. And in that work, he writes, and he was writing this round about the year 150 after Christ. And he writes that the vernal point is the starting point of the sign of mm -hmm. Aries. Now, nobody really took much notice of that. The Greek other Greek astrologers were familiar with the Babylonian tradition. Uh, but when Ptolemy's book was then translated into Arabic, it became, as it were, the, the Bible of astrology for the Arabic Arabian astrologers. And there, they didn't realize this, there was another zodiac, you know, the Babylonian Sidero zodiac prior to that. And so they just assumed that the vernal point being zero degrees of Aries is something that is fixed for all time. And so that's how that it was through the Arabian astrologers that gave birth to tropical astrology. Um, we have to remember that for the Christian emperors from, you know, time of Constantine onwards, they were allergic to anything pagan. So astrology faded out pretty much in, in the Christian world um, by around about 600 years after Christ. And it was then reintroduced from the middle of the 12th century onwards um, by translations from the Arabic. So that's how the tropical astrology came into the West. But this is coming back now to answer your question. This did not impact astrology in ancient India. So in, in, in India, they received the uh, sidereal zodiac was transmitted from from. Alexandria to India and was taken over by the uh, Hindu astrologers. And so that is the, the one region of the world actually where you still find sidereal astrology. Huh. And there was a few years right when around the time COVID broke out, there was, I, you probably knew about this, Robert, there was this young Indian boy, maybe 14 years old, astrologer who, who made some pretty accurate predictions about the coming of the, of the virus and so forth. Did you catch that, Robert? Did you see that? I didn't, actually. I'll see if I can find it, and I'll send it to you. Um, but my question, now going back, what about right now? Yes. What about what's going on right now? And well, what do you see the world, not, 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 not only related to astrology, but what, what are we in the middle of right now? Right. Well, this, <clears throat> this is really a, a very uh, profound question. And so to, to answer it, I have to give a little bit of background of humanity's history from a spiritual perspective or biblical perspective. So in the Bible is described the temptation in the wilderness, uh, sorry, the temptation in the Garden of Eden and um, how the serpent tempts Adam and Eve. Um, we could say that if we go back in time um, this was several thousand years, of course, before the coming of Christ, that 
this describes the fall from paradise through Lucifer. So the serpent is a picture for Lucifer. Lucifer right. means, of course, light bearer. And Lucifer was allowed to intervene in humanity. Humanity, we could say, was pure at that point in time. Uh, if we think of the babe or the infant, you know, is, is pure. Mm -hmm. But this was allowed in order to um, pr um, prompt human beings to incarnate into a physical body upon the earth. Because at that time, in paradise, we were together with, you know, we were in a state of oneness with the world. And there was no such thing as having to, to gather food or uh, there was no such thing as pain or suffering no such thing as death. That all came with the incarnation upon the earth. And so that is just the background we need. That was the event of the fall, which, wa which was occasioned by Lucifer's intervention to bring us into this fall from paradise upon the earth. And that began then the, the process of human beings attaining um, individuality. You know, we had to be separated from, from the mother, as it were, uh, the mother of existence in order to um, as every mother of a child knows her child must eventually become independent and go out into the world not but, as many as you think robert just <laughs> rapunzel locked in a tower seems to define so many young people nowadays go ahead though it was just a uh, social commentary yeah, yeah. so um one of the the remarkable discoveries or achievements of, of stein was to um his discovery that there's not just this being of Lucifer who is bringing the false light to tempt human beings, but uh, he uses the, the Persian, ancient Persian tradition. He talks about Ahriman uh, in the, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we would say Satan or the Prince of Darkness. And so this is a being separate from Lucifer. And just to be able to hold that in an image, um, this is something that Valentin Tomberg speaks about mm -hmm. in his early studies, that when we look at the crucifixion of Christ on the cross, on one side of him, there is the, the good criminal, as it were, and on the other side, there is the, the evil criminal who, who's mocking him, saying things like, if you are the Messiah, come down from the cross and, and help us as well. Whereas the, the good criminal recognizes Jesus Christ had done nothing wrong, is innocent. And so he says to him, you know, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and Jesus responds to him, today you shall be in paradise. You know, today you shall be with me in paradise. And this uh, is a statement which, according to Valentin Tomberg, signifies the beginning of the redemption of of Lucifer, that Lucifer realized as he was the one who had occasioned the fall, that he effectively should have been the one to be crucified on the cross and not Christ. Whereas the other criminal, mm. uh, the other criminal who was effectively mocking and cursing Christ, is representing the other uh, instrument of evil, the Prince of Darkness, and that is being who Rudolf Steiner refers to as Ahriman uh, from the ancient Persian tradition. And Ahriman is the, the one who 
is also keen to take over humanity. But whereas Lucifer is associated with, with wisdom, the light, even if it's the false light, um, Ahriman is associated with, with power. And so what we are experiencing now, and this is why I referred to the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn on, at the time of the solstice in the year 2020, that this was the cosmic sign of his intervention to intervene into the human life organism. Um, and, uh, and his instrument for this intervention is, is the vaccination. So that is only really against this background that what one can understand, it's uh, the second fall. There was the Luciferic fall a uh, long time ago, and now there is beginning, uh, what we are witnessing is the, the Aramanic fall, uh, which is taking human beings um, away from their, their true calling, which is to, to evolve towards what in the book of Revelation is called the heavenly Jerusalem, eventually. Um, now, the amazing thing is Steiner prophesied this event with the with the coming of the vaccines in year 1917 in actually in october 1917 in his lectures on the fall of the spirits of darkness he describes uh, how the archangel michael or michael cast down these dark spirits that he called aramanic spirits we would say satanic spirits cast them down and he said that they will try to take over human beings um, in the future. He doesn't say when, of course, but that is what we are witnessing now. Um, he said that they will inspire, uh, they will take possession of certain human beings and will inspire the development of a new kind of vaccine that separates the human being on the physical and life level from the soul and spiritual level. And that is exactly the purpose of these, of these vaccines. And that is what the Prince of Darkness wants. He doesn't want us to awaken on the soul spiritual level. So it's very, very remarkable to find ourselves now in this situation, which uh, just over 100 years previously, uh, Steiner had prophesied was coming. Wow, totally cohesive account. Uh, very quick. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah. Well, I... Well, I'm just thinking in the book of Revelation. So what comes after that in the book of Revelation is Sophia. Well, yeah. is Sophia. Right. right, right, right. Right. Yeah. 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 So that is uh, Sophia is the the one who will set things right. But we we have to obviously turn to Sophia, who is referred to in the book of Revelation as the the bride of the Lamb. And so um, this is where, you know, I find Daniel Andreev's um, description so extraordinary. Um, Daniel Describe Andreev. his, he was a, this Russian you know, polymathic genius, also served time, almost like a Solzhenitsyn, uh, was kind of dictated or received a book called The Rose of the World. And uh, it's fascinating. You know, the, I, I have the Lindisfarne version that's kind of mm -hmm. probably too yeah. concise. And I haven't even finished that. There's a whole <laughs> taxonomy that makes Steiner reading, you know, like reading a children's literature, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you agree, Michael? I mean, this stuff is dense and I like it's, this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, okay. It's learning a new language. Daniel and Dreve. I just wanted to give a quick little, for our yeah. listeners, a little piece on him. Well, yeah, yeah that's, that's very good. Daniel and Dreve. Um, you know, he was a poet and a visionary, and he had the misfortune to live a time of 
Stalin. And of course, there, um, being a poet and a visionary wasn't really approved of, so he was arrested. Uh, I can still say poets aren't really approved of now either. I know, you're telling me, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, so let me, uh, for our listeners too, that when I say a cohesive account, I, I better yet poetic, but if, if Jesus Christ came, you know, I'm, I'm kind of playing an outsider. I understand a lot of this. Uh, Lucifer was an angel of light, but you know, it's had a, a part of like the fall with it, but then Jesus is the light of the world. When we have Aramonic, the Prince of Darkness, you know, to our listeners, because the theme that are the people who write to us, uh, those people who are grateful for the show, they know this Sophia is kind of central to who we are. How can people start to see the good in the darkness? Like Sophia, give us an image of like how she comes. Is it light or darkness? And if it's darkness, how can we train ourselves to say good things can come from darkness? As you heard me say earlier, I define maybe the American calling in Catholicism. The uniquely American one is maybe the European one. If it's become too decadent, could be singing its swan song is this genius of finding those things are below, but not of the devil, which is another way of saying those things that are from the darkness, but not of the devil. Does any of that connect or how would you kind of give people a shorthand for this, Robert? Yeah, well, uh, coming back to Daniel Andreev, you know, Mm -hmm. his whole book, Rose of the World, uh, the rose is a symbol, we could say we find it already with Dante. He talks about the white rose, uh, which is the image he uses for for Sophia in, in the Heights. And this, what Daniel Andreev is speaking of, is connecting on to vision of, of Dante in the Divine Comedy, that this rose of the world is descending, coming down. And just as we speak of the incarnation of Christ, we can also speak of the coming incarnation of Divine Sophia, the Bride of the Lamb. And that she um, she will set right just as Christ came. This is the most succinct way I can express this. Just as Christ or the Messiah came to overcome the consequences for so uh, Sophia's coming is to overcome the consequences of the second fall occasioned by the Prince of Darkness, who is you know really uh, entrapping people in in lies, illusion, and, and technology. Technology, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. If, you, yeah. if you understand what the, the, the underlying goal is of the vaccination is to basically take us in the direction of, of transhumanism. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Now, interesting you say that, Robert, because in my correspondence with James Morganti 20-some years ago, I asked him, you know, we're talking about the red rose cross. And I said, you know, I think there's a white rose cross. And I think it has to do with Sophia. And he sent me this. And what is that? I can't, yeah. I see the image. Yeah. You know, do you know, this is uh, the, the lady of all nations. Yeah, image, right. Right. Amsterdam. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, what he sent me is not only that, but this is a uh, Thomas Schiflinger's 50th anniversary as a priesthood handout that they gave it. It is, and Thomas Schiflinger, for those of you who don't know, is the priest who uh, put together the book uh, Sophia Maria that was public, that James translated. I think he got it from, I think you were the conduit for that, Robert. That's right. Uh, I knew, many years I knew, ago. I knew Thomas Schiflinger. Yeah. yeah. He died in, um, on the 8th of August, 2001. So just, he, he didn't live to experience 9-11. No. Uh, he died a, a month before. <laughs> yeah, and this was in May of 
1997, his 50th anniversary to the priesthood. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I, but so and I I have thought about this for years. This relationship between the red rose cross and the white rose cross, and Robert just described what it what it means. <laughs> and I'm I'm trying to think of the relationship between say the the descent of Andreev and Dantre versus the uh, almost like how we began the Our Mother prayer of Tomberg. You know, mm-hmm. Our Mother who are in the darkness of the underworld. You know, forgives right. this, and you get this sense of almost Michael and I, in some of our correspondence, or maybe the way we talk, some of the images of the Sophia that resonate with us and are certainly there in Western culture is this idea of awakening, you know, sleeping beauty, um, yeah. you know, yeah. and arising and matter becoming alive, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. these are the things I'm left kind of like. I love it when things kind of are all set up in the air and I can kind of revisit them all with fresh eyes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just to, to summarize, you know, there was the, the first fall occasioned by Lucifer, which set us on this path, uh, and, and Christ came to, to show us the way into the future. And now humanity is undergoing this second fall occasioned by Ahriman, the Prince of Darkness, uh, whose instrument is vaccination, um, and whose, whose goal is to to genetically modify all human beings because he's got no creative power of his own, mm-hmm. but he, he sees himself as taking over, you know, from, from what Christ's and Sophia's vision is for humanity, for the future. Yeah. And he wants to lead us in, in, it's a kind of hijacking of human evolution. I get it. It's it's the metaverse, <laughs> you know what I mean. It really is. It's it's a it's a it's an completely false reality. And it's interesting, Robert, that um, tw- it's coming up on twenty years ago that I published my an academic article on the movie Blade Runner, uh-huh. which was a kind of warning about transhumanism, the approach of transhumanism. And I remember I would share it, you know, share these ideas about transhumanism with students twenty years ago, and they thought, Professor Martin, you're crazy. That stuff's never going to happen. You're just paranoid. And now, when I mention it to students, <laughs> they get freaked out. They're like, mm-hmm. it's happening right now, right? Isn't it? It's Professor Martin. Isn't it happening? It's happening. Isn't it funny to what link? What are you going to do about? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, well, what right. you know, that's the that's and this is, I mean, I think what has drawn me deeper and deeper into sophiology over the is precisely this, this mm. because Sophia is the antidote to that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, um, there's um you know, I'm now living in in southern Ecuador. This is that that will be too much. That's a long story to go into how how I came here from, you know, I was born, grew up in England then moved, I studied in Switzerland, studied Eurythmy, then I moved to Germany, uh, where I lived for very many years, and now here, at my advanced age, uh, I'm now in southern Ecuador, but there was, back in the, uh, I believe it was the early 17th century, um, appearance of the Virgin Mary in Quito, Mm -hmm. as Our Lady of Success, Have, have either of you heard of this? I didn't know of that the title of Our Lady of Success. I know Quito was a site of a, an apparition. Interesting. Yeah. And there uh, she makes prophecies about the future where basically she describes our, you know, in the 20th century that the church would go through difficult times, but that she 
would always stand by the church, whatever happened. So I think it's a wonderful mm. encouragement. And, and it yeah. helps in. Hopeful. Yeah, because yeah. I was extraordinarily, I'm sure you were too, disappointed to see the current Pope requiring the vaccine for all employees of the Vatican and even visitors for a while. Oh, right. yeah. I mean, that is, is terrible. Uh, I yeah. mean, it's words can't describe. Yeah, it's the, a betrayal. Betrayal, yeah. Was it a betrayal or, as he said, a sign of love? <laughs> it's a betrayal. <laughs> yeah, just, Trust me, yeah. <laughs> I wrote about I'll, it. I'll it's, stick it's, my neck out about this one. No, I could be yeah. dated writing an article about that as a betrayal within a week of him saying it. I thought, oh, my God, why do you have to thwap this language onto it? You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it, uh, it's adding horrendous. insult to injury. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, should, we should probably wrap it up now. We've been going on for quite a while. Uh, Robert? Uh, before we depart, I mean, tell our listeners how how they can look into your work and see what you're up to. Yes. Well, if anybody's interested in following up on these podcasts where I endeavor to come to an understanding of, of current events against a spiritual background, and the, the website to go to, you just have to type in Sophia, S-O-P-H-I-A, Sophia School of movement um, and this is not my website it's a website of a friend sophia and, school of movement yeah okay. uh, a friend she she is catholic and um anybody who well it, there's there are my podcasts on on that website but then the um the primary website is is the sophia foundation website sophia s-o-p-h-i-a foundation.org and there, um, this Sophia Foundation was founded together with Karen Rivers, and um, this is still very active, in, particularly in the United States. It was really an endeavor to prepare the U.S. for this coming of Sophia, which Daniel Andreev speaks of, is coming, you know, and it will come. Can I ask one more factual question? And I, I meant to visit the Sophia Foundation website uh, before this podcast, I was running a little bit late. I, I recall that there might have been for purchase on that, and I should have bought them. But am I right that Valentin Tomberg wrote commentaries on his Our Mother Prayer? And have they ever been published before? Or is your place the only place to get them? Or my way out to lunch on them? <laughs> well, uh, no, he didn't exactly write commentaries on the, the Our Mother Prayer. Okay. But I think what you might be thinking of, I made a series of five videos called the Shambhala path uh, because in the one commentary that I know of Valentin Tomberg on the Armada prayer he he refers to this um, event of the, the mother the earth mother who we were connected with in paradise but descending down to the heart of the earth and that her realm there is called Shambhala so we're familiar with this name, of course, from Tibetan tradition, uh -huh. but it is um, actually golden realm, the golden realm of the Earth Mother in the heart of the Earth. And it's from here where the Earth Mother streams out her life energy to all living beings. Every that interests me. Every yeah. plant is receiving it through their root system, right? Uh -huh. And so this is uh, in my series of five podcasts, uh, sorry, five videos available from the so Sophia Foundation. I go into all of this uh, with exercises, how one 
can connect to this because it's with the our mother prayer it's a, it's a, an awakening of humanity an awakening of humanity yep, yep. yeah to Fascinating. the earth mother i'm so glad i asked i'll have to get those and that's a word we use a lot on this podcast awakening oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we do yeah. we that's, that's the that's the essence of sophiology is yeah. yes learning how to yes. see and learning how to awake you know people talk about sophia being asleep or in exile and that's really right. we are right. the ones who are in exile yeah yeah, yeah. Now, if i could finish with something on a very short little quote from um, john chapter 14 verse 26 the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. I think this applies to meditations on the tarot, that when we, if we ask ourselves the question, how is Christ going to send the Holy Spirit? There will be certain human beings who will be, as it were, messengers of Christ, who will bring the message of the Holy Spirit. And for me, this is what lives in this book, Meditations on the Tarot. It is uh, the author has been sent um, to teach all things and remind, remind us of everything that, that Christ taught us. Great. Thank you. Well, th thank you so much, Robert. This has been a wonderful conversation. Wonderful. Well, Let's not make it so long next time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't want to wait time. another 10 years, right? Okay. <laughs> Well, so thank great. you so much, Michael, and thank you, Mike, for thanks. This um, it's been wonderful, and um, we'll do it again. Send me, you'll send you'll send me the link when Absolutely. when it's ready. Okay, yeah. great. Okay. okay, well, many blessings. Thanks. Thank you. Many blessings. Blessings. God bless. Okay. Take care. Stay everybody on the Regeneration Podcast. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>